This is ATP Tennis Radio, bringing you coverage of the ATP World Tour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's live commentary. A jaw-dropping performance. Interviews. Hi, my name is Novak Djokovic. This is Andy Murray. Features. You can pick up on things that other players do. News and statistics. Coming through qualifying at the French Open is no easy feat. And much, much more. Oh, you've got to be kidding me! To find out more and how to listen to live commentary throughout the year, visit the ATP World Tour website or search ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn. Welcome to ATP Tennis Radio, where Alexander Zverev has added to his growing reputation, cruising to a straight sets victory over Kevin Anderson in the final of the City Open. He serves down the centre. The backhand return is good from Anderson, but the cross-court backhand from Zverev has the South African stretching. Anderson in this rally, though, a good big hard-hit cross-court forehand, but he's missed the backhand, and Zverev's won the title. No, I mean, it felt great. Uh, again, I got an early break, and, you know, that helps for, with your confidence, especially in a final, you know, I think we both are a little bit nervous going into the final, but uh, I'm happy I played, and I'm happy to, to win here. City Open champion, your fourth title this season. A breakthrough year, would you not say? Yeah, definitely. Uh, fourth title, fifth final. So, um, you know, it's been an amazing 2017, but it's not over yet. And hopefully I can I can still do uh, do some great things on court this year. Not a bad way to start the hard court season. No, it's, it's a great way. Um, I've beat their very tough opponents in my matches. Uh, Play some great tennis and, and won a title, won an ATP 500 event, which is which is a big event. So I'm very happy, and uh, hopefully I can continue playing like this in the summer. We were so impressed with Sasha Zverev today in the final in Washington, the City Open, his fifth career title at the age of 20. I'm Richard Connolly, alongside me the former British player Naomi Cavaday, and I mean. Kevin Anderson has had a terrific tournament in Washington, but he just could not live with Alexander Zverev right from the very beginning. Zverev got on top. Um, just how much did he impress you today? Oh, it was a classy performance from start to finish. He didn't let up for a second. There was no sort of lapsing concentration at all. He was ruthless. He took every opportunity he possibly could. Serves exceptionally well as well as his returns, putting so much pressure on Anderson. It was it was a nightmare scenario for Anderson out there. He was tired, he was feeling it, a little sore in the back, and then Zverev just had an answer for everything. Anderson's serve is his big weapon. It's a fast court, and yet Zverev seemed to have a good measure on where it was going and the pace of it right from the very beginning. How difficult is it to, to be able to to find that timing so quickly. Yeah, well, he anticipated really well, and uh, you know he's played him a couple of times before, so he's, he's, he's quite used to the serve. But the reason he's returning is so good is just that every time he gets strings on the ball, he finds something. He finds something that at least makes the opponent have to come up with something quite good. He can get the depth, he can manipulate the racket around the ball at full stretch, stretch like very few people can and just getting it back deep, getting it back behind. 
Anderson and just causing all sorts of problems. There wasn't necessarily a huge amount of pace on it. He wasn't just thumping return winners, but it was just the placement. He was relentlessly asking tough questions of Anderson in his service game, and Anderson was desperate for cheap points. And he got some, of course. He had, he's one of the biggest servers around, but not enough and not at the crucial times. He was dragging Anderson into rallies, and Anderson was the less reliable player from the baseline, wasn't he? And coughed up a few errors. Um, in terms of the Zverev serve, he lost only nine points against it, first and second serve combined in the whole match. It wasn't enormous power, but there were times, weren't there, when big second serve took Anderson by surprise, there was variety to it. Yeah, he hit one second serve at 127 miles an hour straight into the body and nearly knocked Anderson over. He was so surprised, but the variation was spot on. You never knew where it was going. It was just so consistently mixed up. He didn't really give himself a rhythm on his spots and, uh, you know, just lots of different spins. And the second serve was great as well. And it was, you know, just just very, very solid. But it looked comfortable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he served unbelievably well. He just is a quality server. He's six foot six himself. He can hit his spots really well, but he was very considered with his choices. I think that was really smart he didn't get carried away or go for the big ones at times where he maybe shouldn't he just he really stuck to a game plan you made the point in commentary about the rhythm of the match uh, because there were so many short points two big capable servers and yet when the rallies did get a little longer and anderson was trying to come into net to keep them as short as possible Zverev found passing shots seemingly at ease despite the fact that he had no chance to groove that particular stroke yeah the first three times anderson came to the net he played a fantastic approach shot he got into the perfect position in the net covering almost every inch of the court he probably left two inches space and on all three occasions zverev found that target and and that is what is so classy and made it look so easy you know as, as you were saying like it's not as if he had hit 20 passing shots or passing attempts and three or four of them were absolutely perfection he was required to hit three perfect ones and he decided to hit three perfect ones and, and that is what is just so impressive do you think juan carlos ferrero who's just started working with Zverev, is looking at him and thinking what, what can i add to this guy he's the full package already right we think it's a pretty good gig isn't it <laughs> yeah. um no i do you know what i i already i mean i see huge improvements in Zverev in this tournament anyway and i think a lot of that is just the decision making on the serve his numbers have gone through the roof on his serve in this tournament people just aren't winning points on his first serve it's just not happening even Nishikori just couldn't get points on the board at all and uh, really I think that is down to the decision makers and I'm pretty sure Ferrero has probably had a conversation about when to, to hit the right sorts of serves because he's got every weapon in the book he can he can do it all it's now about when he chooses to do things why he's doing it is he thinking tactically and that's all starting to come together and there's no better person than Ferrero to help him do that going to ask you a couple more on Sverev in a moment looking forward to the rest of this North American hardcore swing we've got coming up and the, the three huge tournaments that are on the horizon what of Kevin Anderson uh, this was going to be had he won it the, the biggest title of his career his three previous titles have come at the 250 level this a 500 event in Washington DC so in the big picture what will he leave Washington thinking just so many positives i think he'll be really excited to get to the next tournament and, and get back on court it's going to come very quick because that's what happens when you make finals you've got a quick turnaround jump on a plane and have a bit of rest and then go and do it again um, his game has been great 
uh, this week. You know, huge wins, very tight matches. He's really had to tough it out, and uh, it's uh, it's been very impressive. And it, it's. You know, we've all been frustrated that Anderson has struggled so much with injuries, but no one more so than himself. It, it, it's such a shame, and uh, but it'd be so great for him to be able to finish his career. Uh, not that he's there yet, but he is on his way. Um, that he can play an, a good amount, a, a few years at, at the level that he believes that he can be. I mean, 100% top top 20 for sure. He's a top 20 player, so I'm sure he's on his way. He's 31. Federer's nearly 36. I mean, great. He's got a, he's got a minimum, minimum five years Hasn't to produce his yet. best stuff. He's a US Open quarter-finalist in the past, Kevin Anderson. Who knows what the next few weeks will bring? Which brings me back to Alexander Zverev. We've got Montreal on ATP Tennis Radio. We've got Cincinnati on ATP Tennis Radio. We've got the US Open to follow. So, is Alexander Zverev going to win one of those three big events coming up? Possibly. With Federer and Nadal in the picture, yeah. but a lot of the rest of the big guns missing through injury. Well, he's, he's, he's making big strides now, and this is going to start making his life a little easier. Um, the fact that he will be seeded at uh, four in Montreal means you know he's not going to meet Federer or Nadal. He's actually in Nadal's section, but he's not going to meet them until later on in, in the tournament. And when you're having to play those guys early on, it's quite draining and you know very difficult uh, for him. Um, he absolutely could, but Federer is the best player in the world right now. And uh, if Federer decides to play anything above 80% of his best, I can't really see who's going to beat him apart from Nadal. He's moving up in the race, Zverev, up at what, number four now after this? Um, and few points to defend. I mean, he's, he's, he's going up and going up quickly in, in those rankings. Oh, he is, because he's churning it out week in, week out. He's doing incredibly well. The only... Uh, On all surfaces, too. Uh, absolutely. I mean, winning, winning Rome, I think, is, is surprising. You know, first Masters 1000 event on clay in Rome. Don't think people thought that was the way he was going to go about things. But, you know, what a... What an event that was for him. And, uh, yeah, he, he's he's on his way to the top five, no question. You know, I mean, he's four on the race. Is he the fourth best player out there at the moment? Probably third. You know, a team does have more points than him, but I, I would put him above team in terms of, I think he's the third best player out there right now. Slightly different when it comes to the US Open. We're playing best of five, and he's yet to prove himself in those situations. And he is young. He still has to fill out and get stronger, and, and that's, it's brutal. Alexander Zverev, the winner of the City Open, his first 500-event victory, 6-4, 6-4. He beat Kevin Anderson in the final. Coming up next, we'll take, up, uh, take a look at some of the other stories from this week's event in Washington, and we'll discuss the events in Los Cabos in Mexico and Kitzbühel in Austria too. Oh, it's a monstrous point from Isner. And that's all I can say. Oh, that's outstanding tennis from Rafael Nadal. And volley from Lucas, a stunner! He puts up for another overhead smash, and somehow Karlovic just squeezed that inside the sideline. Wow. wow. Here comes Almagro, goes down the line and wins the point. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Yeah, this is ATP Tennis Radio. We're going to stick with events in Washington this week. Um, and one of the 
the other members of the next generation, Naomi Cavaday, who's come through with a terrific series of results this week, was 20-year-old American Tommy Poole, who came past Luca Puy and Gilles Muller, who we've really seen come to prominence at, at Wimbledon over the last uh, few weeks and months. Um, what about his run to the quarterfinals then? Well, he showed a lot of heart and a lot of fight and spirit, and that was great to see. Um, it's always an interesting one with the American players because they play so well at home. Um, and they tend not to travel so well and they're almost a, you know the USTA is almost a victim of its own success with having so many fantastic tournaments in the country that they kind of get quite used to it um, you know but he played great absolutely one to watch and and just just loved the attitude it was just fight and spirit and and just really mature as well for his age it was great to see he's heading well inside the top 200 to 174 at uh, the start of next week former junior champion at uh, Ronald Garros he says his favorite shot is the overhead which to me gives an impression of somebody who likes a bit of pizzazz and a bit of showmanship. I mean, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, and remembers the three glory shots in a match and forgets about the other 500 <laughs> he had to hit. <laughs> okay, um, the 25-year-old Yuki Bambri uh, of uh, India, he had a fine run too, um, and perhaps a surprising run to many. Beat the defending champion Gail Monfils, another former top junior, and we kind of associate um, Indian tennis with top doubles players, don't we? But it's only a matter of time before somebody makes a serious mark in the singles game as well. Yeah, he's looking really good. He's uh, you know, he done a lot of training in uh, in Florida and and not necessarily grown up there, but spent a large part of his career working there. And and uh, he's playing really well. Really tidy game. No huge weaknesses. I think the movement can be improved even more. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, came to the net, showed lots of different stuff, lots of slice, and and, and mixed it up really well. And, uh, I mean, he was too good for Monfils. Terrific result for Bambri, who himself is moving towards the verge of the top 150 in the world. Well, ATP World Uncovered's Gabriel Clark has been looking at another top junior uh, of the past who knows exactly how hard it is to make the transition to the main tour. 13 years ago, age just 15, Donald Young was the number one junior in the world when he decided to turn professional. As with so many starting out, the transition from college to the ATP World Tour was a challenge for the Chicago-born lefty. I was kind of beating all the guys that were a lot older than me and in college, so it was kind of, you know, where was the next step? And then the next step was kind of seeing what would happen in pros, but I needed the money to actually travel and stay on the tour, so it was more signing than playing the pros. It was more signing with a management company, having some deals and whatnot that um, was the really deciding factor for me. I got a ton of wild cards uh, growing up, but um, it was more so because I was 15, I was one in the world, all the tournaments kind of wanted me to see if I was going to get my first win at their tournament, so they wanted to bring that attraction to the tournament and um, it was tough, it was definitely tough because at the time I was the only guy kind of doing it so it was all of the spotlight was kind of on me and, and you know now you have a lot of guys who are the same age so they're kind of sharing it and they're they're vibing and they're building and getting more pumped up off each other but it's, for me it was kind of just me but um, you know it was something I, I enjoyed and didn't enjoy all at the same time. The pressure mounted on Young, who lost his first 12 tour-level matches. There were definitely moments where I felt like I did want to play. Quite a few, actually. Almost every one of those losses from 
15 till I won my first match. I felt like that. And you know, you're losing all of them in a row. You're, you can't really relate to anyone in the locker room. And you're, I mean, it's just, it's totally different. And it makes you just want to stay home. The biggest adjustment for me was getting physically stronger. Um, I didn't mature into like a adult body until I was probably 22, 23 anyway. So it took me a long time. So when I look at pictures from when I was 15, I was a kid and it was laughable actually. I would definitely never want to lose to that guy either. I would try extra hard. To get through those times, it was rough. So my parents, you know, they've always been there. My friends, they were always there. They always believed in me. So, you know, to have that positive reinforcement was awesome. And it's what I needed. I was still a kid, you know. <laughs> a kid, you lose, you take it hard. So uh, I take it hard now, but you definitely learn and you know how to deal with it a lot better. To break into the top 100 and feel like you can make it as a pro was awesome. I, I was so happy. It was almost like, wow, you know, this, this is great. This is what you dream about. This is what you watch on TV. And then you have a better appreciation and respect for it going through the times when I was younger. You know, you see it's a lot harder than it looks. You know, when you're younger and you're watching Pete Sampras beat some guy 200 in the world bad at the Open, it's like, well, I think I can do that. It's not that hard. But then you get to the point and you go through the, the grind and the battling, you realize that's an achievement in itself. Since first cracking the top 100 in 2010, Donald has reached two tour level finals and found his groove on the ATP World Tour. One constant throughout his professional career has been his parents, who double as his coaching team. It's definitely an interesting dynamic having my parents as my coaches, my mom travels more so than my dad but um, you know we have boundaries uh, at times we know uh, when we're at the site we're on the court she's the coach when we're off she's mom but she's always going to be mom but it's good to have definitely you know clear lines for the roles everything for me i'm trying to improve on so but more so is uh, my mental side i want to stay and be more consistent bringing my game and my level every day in day in and day out I set goals, um, you know, they vary depending on the year, whether or not I reach them or achieve them or don't achieve them. So for me, you know, the ones that are still at the top is getting my first title that's still up there and um, just getting better every year. And that's really what I'm focusing on right now. Donald Young there with Gabriel Clark on ATP Tennis Radio. Uh, he made the second round of the City Open in Washington, losing to Kei Nishikori in what was an excellent match in a final set tiebreak. But Naomi Cavaday, he's 28, Donald Young, just outside the world's top 60 and still searching for that elusive first title. So he's gone from being right an elite in the junior game to finding it so tough to make a massive breakthrough in the professional ranks. And that is a story that you must be tremendously familiar with. I mean, it's so hard. Yeah, and it, it happens a lot, it, particularly with with that much success, you almost think it's a, it's a sure thing. And as he was saying there, that the, the USTA, the tournaments, you know, the world of tennis thought he was a sure thing. He was getting wildcard after wildcard and, and wasn't able to produce tennis that was good enough to win at a tour level. It's it's hugely different between juniors and tour level. There's a lot that goes on in between. And, and you know, I remember the number one... Uh, in the world uh, for my age group, uh, I mean, there are a few, but mm. one of them um, tried incredibly hard, couldn't even really break inside 300 on, on the uh, on the uh, professional tour. So, you know, it, it, it's just, it's a completely different game. There's a lot of things that juniors, because of their lack of strength, they can't deal with. And if you're clever and smart, like Donald Young was when he was a junior, I saw him play many times when he was young, then you can figure that out and play right to those spots. You hit the tour, everyone's big and strong, and none of that phases them.
What about the simple adjustment that as a top junior playing junior tournaments, you're winning all the time, then you join the professional ranks and you're losing a lot more often? Yeah, it's tedious, isn't it, really? <laughs> I mean, but, you know, that's what you sign up for with the sport. Everybody loses apart from one player every week. And, and that's just, you know, you can be top 10 for five years and lose every single event you play in. You know, that, that that's just the, the, the bare facts of, of the tennis. The tennis, and you look at, he doesn't have a title. It means he's lost every single time he's played. And he's still a very, very good player. OK, maybe he didn't achieve what people thought he may have. But, you know, uh, you know, I remember, um, you know, there have been many players that have taken a long time to you know, win titles. And, and as I say, you can sit in the top 10 for a long time and, and uh, never leave a tournament without losing. And the modern game teaches us on the men's side in particular, but the women's side too, that Winning titles in your 30s is, is nothing unusual. So there's plenty of hope for Donald Young still. He talked about the family relationship um, and the, the parents coaching. Um, who decides when it's not working then? Oof. That's the difficult bit. It's uh, when you've got parents that uh, are clearly competent as tennis coaches and are switched on, um, then I think they can be incredibly powerful and in it can be so valuable to have them on your team you looking at the Zverevs and and you know Donald Young and and Nadal with uh, Uncle Tony because you, you know that they're there for you the entire time they give you that platform of consistency that you can build on but the smart ones will bring other people in other experts you know at a time okay right you need a little bit more of this at the moment let's bring someone in for a while and and, and doing that and if you've got a parent like that then uh, then they become a great coach and a great manager. Yeah, we'll see how he gets on over the coming weeks. Keep a really keen eye on that. Um, this was the 500 event, the City Open in Washington, of course. Two 250s this week, too. Uh, one in Los Cabos in Mexico and the other in Kitzbühel in Switzerland. We're going to look at both now, starting in Mexico with a player that many tipped for the top. Fanasi Kokonakis. Probably the first round win. I had a Australian Open, uh, winning in four sets while cramping. That was probably a defining win for me so far in my career. Um, it's a great opportunity to play a main draw at 17, so uh, to get the win and then play Rafa in the second round, that was uh, under a week for me. Obviously dropping back to challenger level after playing Australian Open and having such a good week and probably losing the players you don't feel like you should. and. Just being on a bit more of the grind, yeah, it's a bit of a reward now. Uh, I used to like watching Safin. Safin was my favourite, um, but obviously the tour's got a few characters, so I don't mind watching Monfils. Um, I like watching Fognini as well. Just the guys who uh, bring a little something different, I like watching. And then to play Leighton Hewitt on New Year's Eve uh, at night was pretty, pretty special. I know my mates were... They were out, but they were watching the, the match, so it was, yeah, it was a good feeling. I had stress fractures in my back, either side, which kept me out for about seven months apiece. So I missed a lot of time, so it's good to be back healthy, playing good tennis, so it's a good feeling. Physically, it's a big thing, so I don't, don't get injured like I have last year. Um, a lot of core work, a lot of strength work, and uh, so you can uh, sustain the long matches and the intensity of the top guys so you can play, play with them for longer periods of time.
Tanasi Kokinakis of Australia made his first final uh, this week on the ATP World Tour in Los Cabos in Mexico. He was beaten in three sets in that final by Sam Query, who loves playing in Mexico this year. 6-3, uh, 3-6, was the final score. But Naomi, for somebody who's been through such uh, absurd injury difficulties as Kokinakis, the best part of 18 months, he's been really struggling. How pleasing will it have been for him to, to, to make a breakthrough after all that time on the sofa that he talks about? I think it's great. I mean, I'm sure he'll be absolutely thrilled because he had question marks over whether he wanted to come back, whether he could come back. It was such a long time off, so early on in his career. And you're going to always have those concerns of things coming back and, and struggling later on as well. But, you know, he's a fantastic character, fabulous talent. I mean, he can push on and get really high up the rankings. Absolutely. He's still so young, you know, lots to prove. But it's just great. He's got lots of matches under his belt and he can just keep building on that, get fitter and fitter because you know, such a long time off is going to cause that to be difficult. Yeah, a character who loves players of character as well. He mentioned Safin and Fognini and Monfils in there, didn't he? So we look forward to seeing much more from him uh, in future. The other tournament in Kitzbühel was won by Philipp Kohlschreiber, a German winning in Austria, but he's a local Kohlschreiber. I note that he rode his bike to the courts every day of the tournament, so that was a success that will have enjo been enjoyed by many people. Kohlschreiber, the champion in Kitzbühel. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. And let's look ahead to the Rogers Cup presented by National Bank. The Montreal Masters 1000 event is the sixth tournament at this level this year and welcomes Roger Federer, who turns 36 on Tuesday, the ripe old age. Uh, but he um, is going to take some stopping, Naomi. He's won five of his nine tournaments this year, including two Grand Slam events and two events at Masters 1000 level. Um, so <laughs> how would you summarize his year to date? It's been all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's just we've run out of words to describe him. It, it's just utterly extraordinary what he's doing and he's now being so smart with picking his tournaments. He's a, I think he's only playing things he's going to win. Um, and, uh, you know, he still played loads of matches because every tournament, of course, he's doing so well in, but uh, yeah, just stunning. Yeah, superb for, for the tournament that he is going to, to be there. And I think we can look forward to so much excitement over the coming weeks. We shall be there, ATP Tennis Radio, our coverage beginning from the Monday. Um, there is the chance that it won't be Roger Federer, but that it will be Rafael Nadal, who will be the number one in the world by the end of the week. If he reaches the semi-finals, then he'll be the man, and Andy Murray will be knocked off pole position in the Emirates ATP rankings. Yeah, Andy Murray's still struggling a little with uh, his injury and, and trying to get, trying to do his best to get fit as early as he can, try and get something in before the US Open. Hope, I mean, we still don't know whether he'll be able to play or not, but I think he's pretty hopeful. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at the draw, Nadal at the top, Federer at the bottom, one and two seeds, and then Zverev and team is the, the three and four, the other way around, team is three, Zverev is four, it's just, uh, that's, that's nice, isn't it? Well, those two young players coming through perhaps to take their chances, and there will be opportunities with Djokovic with his elbow injury out for the rest of the season, Stan Wawrinka with a, a knee problem confirming last Friday, he is also out for the rest of 2017, uh, Andy Murray with his hip problem continues to struggle, and along with Marin Cilic, is out of the Montreal Masters 1000, so I mean, huge opportunities, so... Um, no, with, with Federer and Nadal, 
You've just mentioned their team and Zverev as, as, the, as the likely contenders to move for, through. Who else will be um, spying an opportunity with so many big names out? Well, I think uh, you've got uh, Milos Raonic sitting in there as well. He's in the top section with Nadal. Uh, but he'll like the conditions, of course. He's back home and uh, he always enjoys playing this. He'll have a big crowd support, even if it is against Rafa. Uh, Dimitrov having a good time as well uh, this year, so it could cause some upsets. But it, it's just, I, I just, the the Nadal at one, then Federer, then Team, then Zverev as the top four seeds just sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that, that that could be the case. Yeah, potential semi-finals involving those four players. Uh, some huge first-round matches have come out of the draw, though. Sam Query, Gilles Muller is a first-round match. Steve Johnson, Gael Monfils is a first-round match. And John Isner against Juan Martín del Potro is a first-round match in Montreal. That tells you something about the quality of the field. It's been a long road, of course, back to full fitness for del Potro since injury put paid to most of last year. So what's he been focusing on in preparation for this part of the hard-court season? Well, I always work my forehand, uh, my serves, that's uh, what my game is, you know, but uh, I'm still improving my backhand. The grease is, is much better day by day, and I think I I will be ready for play a couple of tournaments in a row and and see if I can go far. And how do you feel about the season so far? If you were to review up to date the season, well, I have no luck, no luck in the draw. <laughs> in the last tournaments I play three times with Djokovic, uh, one with Rod, uh, with with Federer, one time with uh, with Murray and and when you are not 100% it's tough to beat them but anyways I think I I'm doing well I could I could play better for sure and that's what I'm looking forward for for this tournament and your goals for the remainder of the season I don't have a, a ranking number to finish but uh, I will keep stay healthy and play uh, whatever I like uh, the tournaments on on card and the, the indoor tournaments are, are pretty good to me so I will try to to stay healthy and play many tournaments in this season yeah he's going to have huge support of course throughout the hard court swing the US Open champion of 2009 Juan Martin uh, del Potro and he is up against John Isner in the first round in Montreal. Whoever comes through that match will take on uh, the 18-year-old Denis Shapovalov. If he manages to beat the qualifier Rogério Dutra Silva from Brazil in the first round. And the Canadian wildcard has been speaking to Seb Lozier. Now you're a proud Canadian as well. You've got a wildcard to play in Montreal. How excited are you to be playing in front of that crowd on home soil? It's going to be incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, to be honest, Felix kind of told me I got a wall card. I mean, I, I, he sent me a text saying, did, did Marty tell you about Rogers Cup? And I looked at Marty, I was like, do you have something to tell me, Marty? And he's like, oh, yeah, you and Felix get wall cards. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be unbelievable. I played so well last year in Toronto, and I think Montreal is going to be just as good. And uh, it's going to be really nice to, to play at home against, uh, you know, in such, such a big tournament with, with so many great champions in the past. Yeah, a thousand event. Um, what does it mean to you to, to be playing uh, not only in a thousand event but also on home soil? Yeah, you know, for some reason, uh, well, not for some reason, I, I really think the crowd carries me, but uh, I play really well at home, so uh, 
I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to hopefully, you know, I'll be able to bring out my best tennis and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, pull pull a couple upsets uh, during the during the event. And you're one of a few um, Canadian players coming through, as you mentioned. What, what do you make of the the young Canadian tennis scene at the moment? Yeah, to be honest, it's uh, it's a little bit mind blowing. You know, we have we have so many good players at a pro level now, like Milos and Vashik and Genie that are doing incredible. But then we also have guys like Felix and Ben. You know, Bianca coming up, and it's just. It's it's incredible to see, and you know I'm honestly so happy to see so many good Canadians. Because for me personally, you know, Canada is really known as a hockey nation, and for me, the only really thing I want to change in my career is uh, to make Canada a tennis country as well. So, uh, you know, we have been doing that so far. We've been really changing the uh, the course of our country's history, and uh, I hope that we could keep doing even compete with the with the best in the world. I guess a more tangible goal is, is probably Milan uh, and the next-gen finals. All eyes on Milan, I guess, for you. Yeah, it's tough. There's a lot of, there's a lot of unbelievable players coming up, so it's, uh, it's been really a grind and really a battle for, you know, to try to get a, uh, a spot in Milan. But you got a couple of cracks at that still, even after this year. So, I mean, in a way, it would be, it would be unbelievable for you to get there as early as 2017. Yeah, of course. I mean, it'd be an incredible tournament to play, and I think it's really cool that the, the that the rules are going to be different. You know, it's it's always cool to to play something different and uh, try new things out. So, uh, yeah, I would be really excited to go and play that. Denis Shapovalov of Canada talking to Seb Lozier on ATP Tennis Radio. Uh, he's tenth at the moment in the rankings on. Uh, uh, the next gen, the race to uh, Milan, so an excellent chance, an opportunity for him to register a few more extra points in Montreal over the course of the week. Um, he's, he's aiming high, you noted there, <laughs> Naomi, with his career ambitions. I just loved that he said uh, the only thing he wants to achieve in tennis is change uh, Canada from being a hockey nation to a tennis nation, which is uh, yeah, quite a... <laughs> Quite a tough there's thing to there's a lot of hockey fans that are going to need to be converted over the course of his career. He's going to have to play some uh, unbelievable tennis. And, and I don't know what else, uh, frankly. But, uh, yeah, it's good to see that he's aiming high. And we look forward to a, a thoroughly entertaining week. Let us know what your thoughts are at ATP Tennis Radio. And you are listening to us on ATP Tennis Radio. This is ATP Tennis Radio bringing you coverage of the ATP World Tour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's live commentary. A jaw-dropping performance. Interviews. Hi, my name is Noah Djokovic. This is Andy Murray. Features. You can pick up on things that other players do. News and statistics. Coming through qualifying at the French Open is no easy feat. And much, much more. Oh, you got to be kidding me! To find out more and how to listen to live commentary throughout the year, visit the ATP World Tour website or search ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn. Well, the live tennis comes thick and fast. Join us on ATP Tennis Radio for live ball-by-ball coverage of the Rogers Cup presented by National Bank. And you can do that in a number of ways via the official website, cooprogers.com, C-O-U-P-E-R-O-G-E-R-S, cooprogers.com, via atpworldtour.com under the news tab, and we're there. You can search for ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn, or you can go to tunein.com, Apple website. Or if you have an Amazon Echo, just ask Alexa to play ATP Tennis Radio. 
Naomi, I'm going to speak to you in Montreal. And at the end of that week, the winner is going to be... Roger Federer. Roger Federer. I knew you were going to say that. Despite what we've seen from Alexander Zverev, you still haven't shifted your mind. Oh, these Federer fans, they are true to their man, that's for sure. That's it for this week. My thanks to Naomi Cavade, who will be joining us for much more throughout the week in Montreal. Be sure to check in with us on the podcast next week when we'll be looking back at the Montreal Masters and ahead to Cincinnati. If you like this podcast, please visit the iTunes store and search Tennis Radio to leave a review. 